All right. Well, we'll have a word of prayer and dive right into 2 Peter chapter 3. And this has concluded, this morning concluded our series. So I guess tonight really concludes the series in 2 Peter. Uh, it worked out, so we're getting done just ahead of Vision Sunday. I didn't plan it that good. It just worked that well. Um, I was actually planning to go past Vision Sunday if I had to, but worked out. So we'll, we'll pray and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for safety on the roads. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us uh, with the application of it and the practical uh, points that we can use in our daily lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, the Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Before we get into chapter 3, verse 18, growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I wonder if any of you have just a thought that pops out from the whole series. I didn't give you time to think about that. Um, so the whole book, the whole book, 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, <clears throat> is, there, is there something that you have, that you are taking away from the Second Peter series that um, has just really helped you in some way, shape, or form. Maybe a comment or an observation. I guess be thinking about that. Um, I really, personally, really was blessed by chapter one, specifically dealing with those essential virtues, and uh, was very helped just looking at Dr. Jim Berg's book again. And I know we had gone through that book as a church. Uh, but that was so immensely helpful and a lot still to, to uh, apply there. Uh, but that was, that was a blessing to me. But how about you? Before we get into chapter 3, verse 18, is there something from the whole book that has really made an impact on you that you'd like to share? I know I, I threw a curveball at you because you were probably thinking, We'll talk about chapter 3, verse 18, and go from there. Um, chapter 1, if I, as, I as I recall here this morning, we talked about uh, chapter 1, firming up the foundations. Chapter 2, forewarning about false teachers. Chapter 3, focusing on the finish line. And chapter 1, dealing with maturity, God's provision for maturity, His process for maturity, His plan, and then the power for maturity. And a powerful passage on the Word of God and just how important it is. But you see there in chapter 1, uh, Peter's apparent humility. God had done a lot of work of maturing him to be able to get to the point where he didn't brag and boast about his mountaintop experience and think he was somebody. Uh, God had broken him to the point where he was humbled uh, and glad for the opportunities he had to be with the Lord. And of course, that mountaintop experience was amazing. But he was mature enough to know we have a more sure word of prophecy. And uh, it's the word of God that is what is going to last the test of time and is going to help people go the distance. I definitely appreciated that sentiment from Peter. There was no arrogance in his eyewitness account. There was rather a, a tremendous uh, maturity. Anybody have something from the book, chapter 1, 2, or 3, that maybe has um, uh, stuck with you or something that is going to help? Yes. I can't think of any one particular thing, but I so appreciate the methodical going through verse by verse. Um, we just caught the end of 1 Peter I think, and then um, mm -hmm. going through all of Second Peter, and I I just appreciate that, um, just wrangling with the different verses and your clear explanations and applications, and um, has been very helpful. And even my daughter um, was saying she listens regularly to our the Sunday morning messages, and it's just been really a healing and regrounding time. Um, for her and our family and just, just getting into what the Bible says. Praise and the Lord. Really appreciate that. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. That's an encouragement. Yeah, there's, there's great things about going through the Bible verse by verse. You know, for one, you don't have to wonder 
what are we doing next week? You know, there it is. But then if we get into something very controversial, I can say, hey, it's not my fault. Next verse in the text here, folks. <laughs> you know? So don't worry, I'm not coming for you. The Lord might be, but we're just working through it. But it is good to be confronted with passages that maybe you wouldn't just dive into otherwise, and you have to grapple with it. And what in the world does this mean? And there are some interesting ones in here, you know? We get into some, some interesting things with, with Noah and the angels and the demons or whatever. Uh, yeah, very much. Someone else, something from Second Peter in general, a takeaway, a conclusion, or something that just uh, stuck out to you. Yes, Ed. Peter obviously learned a lot of lessons through life, and he kind of stumbled his way through, at least in the beginning of his walk with the Lord. And um, I think in this book, he's, he's given us his swan song, so to speak, because these are the last words that he writes to us. And... and He's really, like this verse here is the essence of the Christian life, but growing grace. And he's telling us that you got to hold fast to these things. If you let it slip, your Christian life is going to be seriously handicapped. And your relationship with the Lord isn't going to go where it could go. Hmm. And um, it, it's... Peter's story is very inspiring to me because, um, you know, he, he had to learn the hard way, but he shows us that, that we can avoid making some of the same mistakes that he made. Amen. And um, he's just encouraging us to hold on to what he learned and what we've been taught through people like him. Yeah. And if we hold on desperately to those things, we're going to have a wonderful walk with the Lord. Mm. Amen. That's great. I appreciate that, Ed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I want to say more something like that, similar, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait on that. Yes, sir, right here. I just learned something new as we went through this book in Chapter 2 about uh, Noah being a preacher. I never yeah. knew that. That's one thing I can take away. I never knew that. Yeah, amen. Noah was a preacher. preacher yes, he was a preacher of righteousness. And there's a, a lot of parallels with Noah and us today. You know, we are waiting out some time as well before a judgment. And we're not just waiting, we're building. We're hopefully edifying our family, strengthening our families, uh, getting them prepared, but we're also preaching the gospel. It's, it's quite, a, uh, quite a picture. Thanks for doing the microphone, Jason. Is it, uh, no power yet? Man. Unbelievable. Pray for the Maynards. That is Celine. Wow. Anybody else without power? The neighbor, of course. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, two neighbors without power. Okay. <laughs> man. Uh, pay for the Hasidas and the Maynards. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Don't want to burst any pipes. Oh, man. Rebecca and I, we did a, some house sitting for a preacher who went to Florida. Uh, he was a Wisconsin guy. Went to Florida to help his mom in a nursing home, and so we watched his house, and he said, well, you guys are only going to be in this part of the house, so I'm going to turn off the heat to the other parts of the house. Nope, didn't work out so well. All those pipes froze, and it was all upstairs, and so there was just this, this, this downpour of rain from the ceiling tiles uh, everywhere. It's the biggest mess I've ever been a part of. And they had locked the hole upstairs. You couldn't get in there, so we had to break in. And, uh, oh, it was disaster. It was one of those things where I felt like, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't happening. <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, glad you guys are safe and, and warm. Anyway. All right, somebody else. Something from Second Peter you'd like to share before we get into chapter 3, verse 18. 
Yes, right here. Here's a microphone for you. You know how you have to have faith, uh, even when the world is the way it is, and the verse that says, peace, peace, there is no peace. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was just a good reminder that the Lord is still in control if you have faith. Yeah, amen. Amen. Having faith. I, okay, right there. <laughs> and I, I think we were gone and wasn't here when you may, spoke on Second Peter 2, 4 about the angels that sinned. What was your position on that? And, and you know, uh, back to Genesis 6, so the sons of God came into the daughters of men and saw that they were fair. And do you take the position of, was that demon oppression of the, of the godly line of Seth in Genesis 6 or demon possession that they took wives of all whom they chose? Or maybe that doesn't even fit here. In, in your, or some say cohabitation, demons women that produced the race of giants and then brought the flood, just your interpretation. Of it's, it's definitely, so we did talk about that. Um, it's definitely hotly debated. And I, I, MacArthur's position seems to be very well articulated. Uh, and that's kind of where I have defaulted, which is the, it, it was the demonic, not, not just the godly line of Seth, uh, you know, but um, I wouldn't go to the stake for it necessarily. Uh, I do know of some people who've like made whole theologies out of this um, and made it bigger than it's supposed to be. Like for instance, um, folks, I know of some folks who say um, because the demons did what they did, then the Nephilim and all of this, all this offspring and wherever it went uh, was of course this race that needed to be exterminated, and so that's why God allowed all of the, um, what's the word for, annihilations of, uh, there's a word for it though, uh, what? Genocides. So that's how some people get around, like how can God condone genocide in the Bible? Well, these, they weren't really people. They all come back from this and so forth. You can read and read and read, and I did for a while, and a lot of hours down the rabbit hole. Um, but I don't think that necessarily all of that is, I think a lot of things are stretched there, you know. Yes? Have you been to the Ark Encounter? Yes. Somebody has maybe, maybe explained some of that there, what his position, I don't know. I don't know that Ken Ham has, I don't think he does. I don't, I don't remember that. But, um, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't see a problem with it being angels um, because, you know, you've got angels taking human form in all sorts of different settings. Even this morning with Lot, uh, not this morning, but um, in my devotions, I'm reading about Lot and the, and the, uh, uh, the angels and Wednesday night we looked at that. You know, so you've, you've, got, you've got that. Yes, Jason? If you go to the ark, um, he does have something there. He, does, he says that you can only reproduce after your kind, and angels are not humankind, and therefore he doesn't take it that, um, okay. based on those principles, that, that the Nephilim are half demon, half human, because mm -hmm. they're two different kinds. Right. And right. that they aren't born, they were born, they were, and they're technically, he would say they're neuter. They weren't um, in that sense. So he has different things there. I did not remember that from there. Yeah, interesting thought. And I, I don't have my notes from that chapter here in front of me because I know I had more in there. So we can talk later too, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else generically from the whole book before we dive into chapter 3, verse 18 and kind of wrap things up? Yes, Craig. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works in it shall be burned up. Does, does that look like a nuclear event? I mean, it sure seems like it could. Yeah, we know that... The word elements is <clears throat> one of the key words in mm -hmm. physics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they still don't know what keeps the atoms together, right? Um, we believe 
God does. I, I believe God keeps atoms together. And uh, we know what happens when the atoms split. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it, it certainly does seem to fit the bill. It's interesting, I was reading uh, when I was preparing for chapter 3, verse 10. I read, I don't know who it was now, but I read some, some scholar, and he explained the whole thing away. Explained it all away in, in a very, like, it was all symbolic and so forth. It's just amazing to me how some people treat the scriptures um, to see it that way. Uh, but we take a literal view of scripture, and so I definitely believe that this is coming. Yeah. It's going to be destroyed, and he will make a new heaven and new earth. Yep. It's quite something. Uh, Peter is a quite an interesting book because you, it sounds like Revelation right there, you know, but he sounds like the Apostle Paul in chapter one. Uh, you kind of got the whole thing squeezed into three chapters, which is, is, very, is very neat and very helpful. Final thoughts from the book before we go to verse 18? All right, and Jason's got the, the microphone if you need that, if you have a, a question along the way. All right, well, my favorite verse in the whole book is verse 18, and that's kind of why I saved it just to do it in one shot uh, this morning. Um, it is a tremendous wrap-up to the whole book, and I like the fact that it seems, as I mentioned this morning, to be somewhat underwhelming. It's not this big, huge, grandiose, go do something crazy because crazy things are coming. Everybody, everybody scream and run, you know. Uh, that's what, almost what we'd expect. Do, do something, the, the bigger the adversity, well, then the bigger the reaction to it, right? No. What's going to see us through is, uh, as someone says, slow and steady wins the race. Keep being consistent, keep growing, keep deepening, keep strengthening, and keep drawing into the Lord Jesus. Um, the more we know of him, the more we will be ready for uh, whatever comes and be faithful to do what we're called to do now. But um, as we think about this, we talked about a little bit this morning, Titus and what grace teaches us. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us where to look. It teaches us how to love. That grace is a teacher and an enabler. Uh, and then uh, we, we uh, just brought it back from Titus back to Second Peter, that we're to be growing in this grace. But here's the question. I didn't get into this morning a whole lot of the... Um, I didn't really flesh out much of what does this look like. We have talked about it in this series, but the whole, the whole uh, answer, the, the, the question how? how, how do we grow in grace? How do we grow in grace? What does it look like? And what does it look like to you? So when you read verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that first phrase what do you get from that? What do you take from that? What does it mean but grow in grace? In some senses, you might be like, well, how do I even do that? I mean, I received his grace when I got saved, and I don't need more grace. I'm not, I don't need to be more saved. So, so what is this? What is growing in grace? Or how do we grow in grace practically? Yes. Well, it is, and, and he calls that out specifically in the next phrase, so they are related, grow in grace and in the knowledge. But since he's got that other phrase, they need to differentiate somewhat, so it can't just be knowledge. So, yes? When I think of growth, I, I think of vegetation, and really, um, you take a seed, and within that seed is the, everything that it um, would need to become a tree, for example. And so, really, that, that seed, then, is meant to grow. So everything that's in it is still there. It's not that it's got more of the stuff that makes it, uh, you know. It really is now growing out from that same uh, DNA, if you will. And so it's, that's excellent illustration. It's, just, it's just amazing, you know, to look at that big tree. And everything that it had to, to, to become that was in a, in a little seed or an acorn or whatever. And so um, to do just that. I see this as, you know, this verse to me is, shows Peter's transformation. Mm. The transformation from Peter of the Gospels. Yeah. 
because what's his answer in the gospel is it's get sword, you know, it's, but that's not how he ends this. It's, we already have everything we need and now just grow in that and become something different. Don't stay that seed, that acorn, become what you're intended to be. Amen. Amen to that. Everything that he said there, spot on. I love the illustration of the seed. You know, a seed is a package and everything is in there. Well, you need some water, <laughs> you need some sunlight and so forth, but everything is in there to respond to those elements to grow. And uh, we, you just need to let those processes happen. And, and, and uh, in our case, look to the Lord with diligence to let the, those things happen. Amen. I got some things to add, but I'll do it in a second. Lindsay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. The, you, you are the seed with all the provisions. You have the seed, all the provisions of God. We need the living water and light of the world. Let God do his work. Amen. Other thoughts on that? Yes, Tyler? Right over here. Uh-huh. A lot of times where people ask me, you know, what can I pray for you about or for? And I just say um, that I would cooperate. <laughs> uh-huh. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's what, that's Amen. That Cooperate. Yeah. That's a great word as well. Cooperate with what he's already trying to do. Nils. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're good. And I think, uh, you know, Christ wouldn't have saved us if he couldn't do that for us. And um, so it's to become more Christ-like. Amen. So continuing to tap into Christ's likeness. Let me just say again with the microphone, when Jason is coming around with it, um, if you can hold it, can you show us, Jason, about right, what, three inches from the mouth? And then gesture with the other hand. Don't gesture with your microphone hand. <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody. I just, not Nils or anybody. Just, I just thought I better get this in here. So hold this one steady about three inches away and then gesture with your other hand. That'll work. Um, good. So here's what I think of with this growing grace. And I, I think I, I got some of this this morning. I don't feel like I got to much of it. Um, but really growing in grace is that phrase is the first part of chapter one all packed in there. Go to chapter one again. Um, he says... He talks about, he's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith, the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we've been given what we need in Christ. Then grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, the more you know of him, the more of the package you can take advantage of or you can put to use, the more, the more it can really um, take part in your being, Right? Then he talks about all the stuff that we have in him. Verse 3 is who we are in him and what we're called to do in him. And verse 4 is the glorious promises and provisions as we're partakers of this divine nature. He's just telling us who we are. And then verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. These virtues. Growing in grace is him saying, in a nutshell, all of that. I think we're hearkening right back to chapter 1 in the first few, the first two, first few verses, and he's saying, be diligent in this process of maturity. When we think of growing, we think of maturing. We've got some parents in here. Matt's got a kid who's growing and maturing and getting big and um, it's great to see that. It's just great to see them develop and the things that they say and, the, and their personality is beginning to take shape. And you're like, who is this person? <laughs> this is crazy. It's so cool. Uh, Erica got baptized this morning and then some things that she says on the way home and on the way for, to church is like, wow, she's, she's a little girl, but she's, she's maturing. She's coming right along. All right, well, growing in grace the theme, at least in my outline, when we went through chapter one, it was all about maturity. Uh, where's my thing again here? Um, it was uh, the provision for maturity, the process for maturity, the plan for maturity, the power for maturity. All right? Uh, and then we just sum that up in the last verse, grow. Keep 
growing in maturity or just keep maturing. Nobody should stagnate. That's not what God's called us to do. He's not called us to hang up the cleats. We're not going to retire from, from the Christ life and from the Christian life. Uh, we're not going to say, okay, now, young folks, you go take them out. You take, the, take on the devil. I mean, we might not do the same ministries in church that we've always done. I don't think you always have to chase kids your entire life, okay? It's fine to, <laughs> to let somebody else uh, handle the kid ministry at some point, and you move on to other ministries, but we never graduate, we never retire from our discipleship, our own discipleship, our own walk with Christ, our own maturing and growing process. So growing in grace, what is it? What does it look like? It is my giving diligence, to use the First Peter 1 terminology, it's my giving diligence to add to my faith the virtues of Christian maturity. That's, I guess, how I would put it. And how do we do that? Well, the kids sing about it. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. And it just sounds like, oh, that's so basic. That is not so, what well, is basic, but it's not so basic that we adults don't need that. Um, and it's, to me, this is also just very encouraging because as I mentioned this morning, uh, we, we see cataclysmic things coming and we think, okay, we got to do a cataclysmic thing back. But I can't do that. God has to do that. How do we do anything of any impact? Well, faithful is he with much who is faithful in the least. And when you are where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, depending on the one who's going to do it, big things happen. You look at Noah. We've talked about him because he's in this book. He's in our series. We've looked at Noah. What about Noah was so impactful? This one phrase. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What do you do? Yes. I've always noticed when I, when I find something, that's because I was looking for it. Yeah. I, I think Noah was looking for grace. Yeah, amen. He was looking for it. You, you find the things you're looking for. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and we know grace is accessed by what? Faith. Faith. This man was looking somewhere else. Everybody else was looking down here at what they could get out of this life, and he's looking to God, and, and he's uh, letting his, his dependence be there. And he had some faith that God saw and that God honored, and that accessed grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say that Noah did something um, sensational, necessarily. Now, oh, you get your hand up. Sorry, hon. Sorry. I, I think to... Um part of how we grow in grace is what we do when we have disappointments and personal failure because the verse you referenced this morning about um, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound mm. and I think that Satan wants us to be discouraged and defeated and when we when we fall into sin or we, we mess up then we just like, get introspective and focus on ourselves and get discouraged but I think, you know, one way that we grow in grace is just how we respond when we fail. And we, we use it as an opportunity to cast our dependence on Christ and realize how much we need him. And it's really a wake-up call that we need grace. Mm -hmm. Amen. The failure. And, and the, right. The, the, the failure is a reminder how much we need it. It's not about us anyway. Amen. Very good. I hope to talk about that more Wednesday. That's excellent. Yes, Brother Keith. Uh, John 1, 16, and of his fullness of all we received and grace for grace or grace upon grace, I believe it can be translated. Yeah, it talks about Christ has tons of grace, but we have to then kind of maybe to your seed, we receive of his grace at the moment of salvation, but then we have to grow in that and continue and nurture that through Bible study, prayer, you know, the Christian virtues. 
Luke 2.52, when Jesus was 12 years old, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that favor with God, to me, is growing in grace. Amen. It's not something you earn or merit. You punch the clock every day. Okay, I've, I've got 10 years seniority or 20 years. Grace doesn't work that way. But, like, the more we're in the Word, I think grace and knowledge kind of go together like repentance and faith. They, sure. They, they, the more knowledge you have, then the more gracious you can be or be like Christ. But, but Christ has an inexhaustible supply, and he gives it, and then we're to grow in it as well. Amen. That's excellent. And again, it's not that some people have more grace than others. We all have the same package, the same seed, if you will. We all have the same stuff. Uh, it is a matter of... Uh, some seeds, to use Jason's illustration, they fall on good ground, some fall on bad ground, some get watered, some don't, some get scorched, you know, so we need to be accessing all that we have. And so growing in grace is going to be accessing by faith all that we have available to us in Christ. Yes, Valerie. I remember um, John Van Gelderen saying sometimes, how do you know whether you've accessed the faith or you've accessed the grace? And he said, it's when you thank God that you have had it. And so sometimes I wonder, did I take grace? Or then if I haven't thanked God for helping me, if I haven't thanked him for his enabling, then probably I haven't. And then to be more aware of that, just practically how to accept the grace of saying, God, you're here with me and you're giving me grace. Thank you for that. Amen. And realizing that more momentarily in a day. That's excellent. Praise is part of faith. And uh, to take grace by faith, how do you do that? Maybe just thank the Lord for it. Thank Him for what He's going to do, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, even if you don't understand it, you're going to say, thank you, Lord, that you have what I need in this situation and depend on Him for it. That's good. Yes, ma'am. Here we go, Jason. He's getting his steps. <laughs> it's all right. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and the importance of um, depending on Him. And somebody asked a question about that, like, um, "Well, how does how does that work? Do we need to invite Him, you know, to be part of our day? Do we need to?" So, could you address that, like? Our, we need to depend on the Lord, but how does our relationship to the Holy Spirit impact our growing in grace? Okay, yeah, so I think we need to just, the, the Bible says the communion of the Holy Spirit, you know, um, it talks about it as, as communion or fellowship. So I think having a God consciousness throughout the day and just fellowshipping in prayer, pray without ceasing, talking to Him throughout the day, and just looking to him in moments of weakness, moments of temptation, moments of overwhelming whatever, um, to recognize this is not just me. This is, this is him, Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me. And so just, I think it's just the awareness helps you then be more ready to reach out and to depend. Um, it's not even that I always pray a certain prayer or certain words. It's more just an awareness of my dependence upon him throughout the day and casting burdens on him as cares come in. I was telling my wife and a couple of my kids last night, there are times where I just worry. The worry just comes in and it just sets on me about this or that, especially if you have kids. I worry about things with the kids and so forth. And learning to just roll that over to him. Let him take it. He's the comforter. That's what he does. And so um, being aware of his presence and then turning worry into praise. That's how I get past worry is thanking and praising the Lord for all that he has done. How certain things I'm worried about haven't happened. <laughs> you know, uh, there will be time to deal with difficulties when they come. Let's praise the Lord for the good times and the, and not that the, not that the trials will be bad times, but um, learning, to, learning to embrace his comfort uh, and, and, and just be uh, communing with him, having fellowship. I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but um, I would say just practicing a God consciousness throughout the day is huge 
because we're so naturally independent and self-dependent, and then we only look to God when things go really, really bad, really, really sour, as opposed to, no, we're, we're, in, we're a team from the get-go. We're walking together from the get-go. Um, I saw uh, a little video, of course, it's the NFL playoffs, and so um, th- they were talking about this one team, were they going to be able to do anything, and, and the guy said, they're doing so bad, everybody better be praying. As if, you know, you only pray when it's, <laughs> it's terrible, you're in over your head, you know, get everybody praying. Uh, no, if you know who God is and you know he's already on your team, you're always praying, but you don't even realize you're praying. You're just talking, you're fellowshipping, you're communing with him. I'm not saying I always do it, but I tell you, when I am living that way, it certainly helps. It's good. Yes, Lindsay. <laughs> So in um, AA and 12-step program, they have a saying, and it's um, uh, if you're not doing the 12 steps, you um, are a dry drunk, which means that you're not just not growing, but you're angry and you're still in that mindset of drunkenness and um, regression. So I think it's, it's the same with not reading or praying constantly or, or talking to the Holy Spirit. If you're not doing that, then you're not just not growing, you're regressing. Absolutely. Yeah. You're either on the move or you're slipping backwards. Yeah, good. Another thing with the word growth, I think every word's important, right, in Scripture, but the word growth, we think of, oh, you think of a continual steady growth, but that's not how we grow. That's not how plants grow. That's not how... Anything that grows really grows. It isn't this constant steady rate. There are changes that happen in the environment that can then spurn greater growth. Yeah. So you think of a child, they'll even tell you to anticipate it. Oh, it's six months, guess what? They're gonna start more, they're really gonna go through a growth spurt, and you know, there's different times you can even expect it. Um, but I think that that's key. That's an important thing to consider that, you know, I can look at different times in my life in different seasons, and I can see, wow, that was a time of growth. And sometimes that growth was just out of the abundance of good things that were happening. And other times it's out of an abundance of trials and difficulties. And some of those difficulties that even bent me, but ultimately uh, strengthened you know, me. And I can look back and, some, and you can see those. Wow, that was a real season of growth. Or sometimes even that could have been a season of growth, yeah. <laughs> but instead I didn't respond properly yeah. to that and, um, and to learn from that and still make it a season of growth. It's a good point. Growth is not always this perfect mathematical formula that always just continues like this. There are ebbs and flows. Sometimes you end up going backwards before you go forwards. And sometimes the going backwards is actually what helps you end up going forwards because of what you learn in those times. I had an oak tree that was dying. Half of, half of it was dead, and I thought, ah, oh, I gotta cut that thing down. I thought, well, I'll wait, and just, I'll wait till the last green branch turns brown. The whole thing came back. It took eight years. Uh, the whole time we've been here, I've been watching it get better and better. Um, so they, that's some of us. We're ready to get cut down, but God uses that and brings us back. Yes, Valerie. children. Does anybody in the room have any hints on how um, to encourage children to give each other grace while they're growing? Like, for example, you have a child who might be more mature, and then all of a sudden they're looking around at the children who haven't learned that life lesson, and they, they expect everybody to have learned it because they learned it, or, um, and then it grates on them. Or does, does anybody have any hints on how to encourage children to, to have patience while their other siblings haven't matured in certain ways that they have. Wow, that's excellent. We have the same problem at our house, so don't feel bad, Valerie. <laughs> don't feel bad. That's a good one. Um, I, I'll start, and if anybody else has something, jump in. But I think um, when that happens in, in, in our family, I try to remind them Many times they are not having grace with a sibling about the very same thing that they do or have just done. It's not even like you do this thing that always bothers me and I never do it. Oftentimes it's the same thing I'm doing. 
And I think a lot of times the reason that our kids do it is to, to demonstrate to themselves a sense of security. See, look what you do, look what you do. And by pointing out what you do, it makes me feel better for the moment, because at least I'm not doing it in this moment. You are. Um, it's funny when one of my kids will turn in the other one. Mom, while you were gone. This just happened recently. Joel was doing this and this and this. Oh, I said Joel, sorry. Uh, he was doing this and this and this while you were gone. And he this quick goes, and who was sitting next to me? <laughs> and she's like, oh. <laughs> just like that, you know? Uh, what in the world? Um, but they, they do it to find some security, and I'm trying to help them find their security in the Lord. You, you don't have any worth because you're better than the next guy. You have your worth only because of what Jesus has given you. So stay humble. And remember, I don't need to put somebody else down to be lifted up. I just need to draw into my righteousness in Christ and and that'll keep me humble with, with my sibling. Yes, Jason? I think the key is what the first few words you said. I remind them. So they aren't going to pick it up on their own. They're mm -hmm. immature. Yeah. But helping them to see what's happening, having that conversation, engaging them, that's, yes. that's it. And it's, yeah. it's a process. Yes. <laughs> it takes some time. Yep. Anything else on that? That was a good question. Growing in grace. You know, our kids don't have much grace for each other. But if we're honest, we oftentimes don't have that much grace for each other as adults either. We just hide it better, uh, but we still have the same problem. Uh, humility, I think, is the key. If we really get the stuffing knocked out of us, we have grace for others who have been going through something. And that's Peter, isn't it? Isn't that who he is? He's the guy who had the stuffing knocked out of him, not once, but several times. I mean, we always think about him denying the Lord, but what about, get thee behind me, Satan? Thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Uh, that's stinging words right there. He got it on the chin several times, but God used that to humble him. And as we embrace those situations and are humbled, we are going to be more gracious with one another, most definitely. Yes, please We just had a situation last night where <clears throat> somebody was grieved with somebody, you know, it was one of our kids, I guess. <laughs> and I, I was talking to them about, okay, you're upset with that person, but just bring it back to the idea of a team that you might be perturbed by the younger, but you, and that person needs to forgive you, but you have that just as much responsibility to lift up that person to whatever you're perturbed about. Yes. And I'm really trying to work with them, like, we are together here and you know I hate to bring Michigan football into this mm. but they really showed that they cared and loved for each other this yeah. season and I appreciate that and I don't want to yeah. miss that in our family dynamics. Yes. So. Yep we need to see ourselves as a team and I think sometimes in our families with our kids we we don't see each other as teammates we we see each other as opposition or competition or whatever boy we need that in our church we need that, we need that, we need that in our families it's good. Yes, sir. Brother, Brother Dave. Good to see you, brother. Pardon. Good to see you. You too. Um, I've always uh, defined grace as um, God's undeserved kindness towards me. Uh -huh. And as a Christian, I need to uh, convey that to, that to those around me and when I do, it comes back to me, benefits me, and really becomes priceless. You know, I don't know if Amen. I explain that properly, but um, anyway. That's good. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so growing in grace is going to involve growing in some humility and then strengthening your faith. And by strengthening your faith, you're going to access more of the grace that's already available to you. And as someone already mentioned, it is hand-in-hand hand with the next phrase, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> the Bible word knowledge conveys that deep, intimate, experiential knowledge, uh, that of a relationship, not just this knowledge of something out there, 
but something more close and, and um, experiential. And that's the same we saw in chapter 1. We looked at that word a few times as it pops up in chapter 1. This is an experiential knowledge. You know, folks, we are allowed to have experience in, as Baptists. It's okay. We're afraid of anything too experiential. Um, it doesn't have to be sensational, but it, it could be, I suppose. But um, it, we, we need to have a real, real life experiences that deepen our understanding of who He is. So, oh, oh, this is what it means by God is fill in the blank, or whatever it is that God is teaching you. Um, but the idea of knowledge is, is going to not just happen on its own. So the question for you, what are the sorts of things that we should embrace understanding that they're the pathway to a deeper knowledge of God? Yeah, what, are the, what, what sorts of things should we embrace understanding that they are the pathway to a deeper knowledge of God? Yep, sure, studying the Word, sir, certainly. Trials, most definitely, trials. So you, 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 you study the Word of God in season, out of season, and then you have that in you to lean upon during those trials. But a lot of times, if you just read your Bible, you don't really know what it means until the trial. You have to have the two things together. There are times where you just read the verse over and over and over, you're like, yeah, huh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I think I know what that means. But you don't really until God takes you through something and you say, oh, this is what it means uh, to know the peace of God through suffering. This is what it means to be forgiven. This is what it means to forgive or whatever as God takes you through that situation. So embracing uh, a Bible study, embracing trials, suffering would go along with that. Anything else come in there? Yes? If you don't think about how it applies to your life and pray about it and ask the Lord, you can miss a lot of things. Yep. So meditate, meditate on the Word uh, in, in prayer and just chewing on it. Yeah, it's good. Sometimes I, I like to write things down while I'm reading the Bible. I write down questions I don't even have answers to. I just put them down, and it's amazing sometimes. Then I go back, I read my journal later. I go back and read through a couple, two, three months at a time, and it's amazing to see what God is teaching you over time as you look at those little snapshots. It's good. Um, something else, though, as far as sorts of things that we should embrace, understanding that they're the pathway to do a deeper knowledge of God. So we mentioned Bible study, meditation, and trials. Yes? Rebukes. That's great. Rebukes. Being willing to be corrected uh, and challenged. But I'll also add something else to it. I'll say failure. And I mean every kind of failure. The accidental failure to the sinful failures. That doesn't mean that we're seeking these things. Let's go fail, uh, you know, because you'll know, learn so much about God through failure. But it is, it is true, failure is an incredible teacher. And, you know, the team that starts out uh, cocky because they won all their preseason games and everything, like, yeah, look out, they're going to go, they're going to fall flat in their face. But the team that got beat up all preseason, they're just like, oh, man, we need answers. They're hungry. They're, sh they're, they're shoring things up. They're hiring new personnel. They're shaking it up. And, uh, and so it is with us in the Christian life. And, and sometimes we, when, when sin happens in our life, we let ourselves get overcome with shame and guilt and we pull away from God's people. We pull away from the Word of God. We pull away from church and we just think, oh, how could I do this? I'm such a horrible person. Not recognizing there's a silver lining in that sin. And that is you got the stuffing knocked out of you again. And you learned again that your 
flesh dependence doesn't work and you need God and you need healing and you need help, you need brothers and sisters in Christ, God didn't make you to do it on your own and there's so much that can, that can help you to then, as you come through it, you learn so much more of God. You're so much more um, mature in your knowledge of who God is. So we should embrace these things as part of the pathway to a deeper knowledge of God. Uh, that word hour, I highlighted that this morning. We should grow and deepen in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how does the Lord and Savior become our Lord and Savior? And I'm not talking about, we'll get saved. Okay, I'm saying, what if you are saved? What if you are saved, but the Lord is still more mom's Lord than my Lord? What if he's still more the Savior than my Savior? Do you know what I mean there? Where, where there's a real relationship and a real ownership. What, what thoughts do you have there? I'll, I'll restate it. How does the Lord and Savior of your parents or someone else becomes, become yours? The importance of the word our. Oh, yes, sorry. Sorry if I'm saying too much. No, you're this. fine. It's good. Okay. Um, I've, I've been wrangling with this because we have older children and now two in our home. And some of them have embraced faith and a relation, a real relationship with God when they were younger. And some of them had to get to the very depths of themselves and some horrible trials before they went, oh, okay, God is real and I do want to live for him. So now with our, and it's just been interesting how they have each processed that. They're all saved. Um, but like talking to Rebecca again today, we had a really good conversation and she was just saying she had to, she had to process, okay, this is what mom and dad are saying. This is what my friends are saying. God, what do you want me to do? Mm. And, and that happened several times where she had to say, oh, you know, God met her and then she could step out on that faith for herself. Um, and I think that the crisis moments where they have to exercise faith is where we want to get them to. And this is my own processing, like, you know, because some of our kids still are like, okay, maybe going along for the ride as, you know, mom and dad say this or my church says this or whatever, but I want to bring them to a crisis of faith. Amen. What do there you it is. believe? What are you going to do here in this situation? That's exactly right. Capitalize on the crises that come into your children's lives, but don't solve them all. Don't feel like you as a parent have to help them make sense of it and process it for them. If your God becomes your God when you have had to come through it, processing it, and not that you can't have help, and of course we need that from pastors and parents and Christian school teacher or whatever. But I think a lot of us parents, depending on, especially depending on where you came from, a lot of us would say we want our kids to have it better than we did. And we want our kids to not experience certain things that we did. And it's funny, some of the very things that made you into who you are today are the very things that you dislike about your story the most. So you say, I, I tell you what, I mean, I came through all of this and that other thing, but I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. Now, obviously, if it's a bunch of sin and suffering, no, we don't want our kid to go through that. But what if your kid, despite your preaching, prayers, and admonition and everything, goes straight to the sin and suffering? Well, you can pray that the God who took you through it and made the God and Savior your God and Savior will also meet that, that child in the same sin and suffering and get a hold of him or her and bring them through. And it may actually be um, very, very effective, though it's not what we would have ever drawn up. You know, with my kids, they're getting old enough now where their problems are bigger than, you know, he hit me on the head with his G.I. Joe, you know. 
Solving that problem is not that hard to solve. Now the problems are getting much more elaborate, and they're going to get more and more elaborate as we get older. And I don't want to solve all the problems for Samuel, necessarily. I want to, to get him thinking. I want to, uh, if he's desperate, if he has a crisis, he needs to see God come through. It can't always be my pocketbook. Mine's not that deep anyway, so, but it can't always be your pocketbook. It can't always be you having these bailouts. They will never, ever know the, the hand of God and his provision if mom and dad are always doing the, doing the providing and doing the, the bailouts and so forth. So crisis of faith is what you, is what you said. We need to pray that God brings them to these crises of faith, and then we need to really start praying for ourselves that we would not intervene and jump the gun and get in God's way of what God's trying to do because our parental heart is breaking for the situation. Yes, sir? Um, when, when Hagar, when Sarah said, cast out the bondwoman, and she went into the wilderness with Ishmael, and she was, oh no, and she, it says she cast the child away, so she said, no, don't let me see the death of the child. And the angel uh, said, God hath heard the voice of the lad crying. Wow, yeah. And, and he opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water, and they survived, and then went on. And, yeah. And it's like, he was pre- she, she lost faith. Yeah. But maybe it's the only good thing Ishmael ever did. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think he was 14 years old, and, and he had to leave. But God heard the voice of the lad, and I thought Amen. he had to figure it out. That was his crisis of faith. Amen. And we think our kids can't make it out there in the wilderness sometimes, but whatever Abraham had taught him maybe how to pray, and, and he prayed, and, and there was a, a well there in the wilderness. That's an interesting point. I never thought about that, but, the, but you're right. That is what it says. God heard the, lad, the lad's voice. And boy, that our kids would pray, that our kids would have a real I need God moment. I say that and I say, oh boy, <laughs> I don't know what necessarily that's going to be. And Lord, help me to be that parent that, that is um, able to walk by faith in those moments as well. That's so important. Very good. Well, I want to get to the last phrase before we're done. It says there... Um, to, to him be glory both now and forever amen and I, I love that it's not just that's not just a closing salutation it, it, it is a salutation certainly but it, it wraps up the whole thing God is working his plan there's going to be some cataclysmic events coming in the meantime, we are to be growing in grace, deepening our, deepening our knowledge of God, and we're, we're here because God is long-suffering. That's why it hasn't burned up yet. So there's still more to do. There's people that need to hear the gospel. What is this all about? It's his story. It's his glory. And if we can just keep ourselves off of the altar, I'm sorry, off of the throne, on the altar, keep ourselves off of the throne, and on the altar, and live a life for his glory now? I, th- I think we think, oh, I'll do that in eternity. <laughs> the forever part, so that's fine. But now and forever, that is, that's, that's a game changer right there. God's glory is always at odds with our own vain glory. How does a believer effectively posture himself to live for the glory of God? Any thoughts on that before we close? God's glory is always at odds with our own vainglory. How does the believer effectively posture himself to live for the glory of God? Yes, Janice. I liked your question that said, are you flesh dependent or God dependent? I would answer that. Say again. The, the question you posed to us this morning was, are you flesh-dependent mm. or God-dependent mm-hmm. for when the trials come along and the temptations? Sure. So if we are going to live for the glory of God, living God-dependent is obviously going to lend more glory to Him as opposed to 
our own flesh dependence, certainly. Yes? I think God is glorified when I face, you know, we talked a lot about trials, and so when I face trials, the world faces trials. And, but how do I face those? Do I face those um, from a place of I just have to endure like everybody else has to endure, or can I actually access some grace and walk forward? And it is different. You know, I, I do, I do I get the opportunity, it's a privilege in my work, to get to see a lot of people who are at the very end of their life. And I have seen people who are accessing the grace for death. And it is amazing to see those who are believers and have accessed grace. They might still be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But they are accessing grace, and it is something to behold yeah. versus um, those who have no hope. Yeah. And so I think in our life, whether it be that trial, the trial, right, the valley of the shadow of the death, right, or some other trial, I think yeah. that that is that's a key thing. That's going to bring glory to him yeah. when we can access his grace to respond differently than what would be our natural response. That's excellent, and it makes me think this really is the key thing to open a lost sinner's eyes to the reality of the Savior, the reality of the gospel. When you're living just for the glory of God, um, we watched, my wife and I, with my two older kids, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you all do this, but we felt we needed to do it in our family. We watched that film called The Sound of Freedom, about human trafficking. And uh, for older teenagers, I mean, Aaron is 12, but she made it through okay. We, we decided to do it and have a big family talk. We'll put the other kids to bed, and we're like, we're doing this, here we go. Uh, and you get done with that movie about human trafficking, and uh, um, it's just, you think, how on earth can this be happening and God is watching. And this is where people throw God out. It's just so easy. It's so easy to throw God out. Um, these little girls, these little boys, and the movie does such a good job of showing you these are not just numbers on a stat sheet. These are precious children. Um, but we were talking about it, and I asked the family, does anybody know of someone in the Bible who was trafficked. And the kids said, Joseph. Joseph was trafficked. And we don't know what all happened. We know that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Um, what happened on that, on that trip to Egypt with these ruffians? I don't know. Maybe they didn't lay a finger on him. Maybe they did. I don't know. I, we don't really know what all Joseph went through, but I'm sure it was awful. And then he gets there, and he sees glimpses of grace, and then pfft, nothing. You know, he's Potiphar's right-hand man. No, you're not. Now you're in jail. Now you're the, the jailer's right-hand man. Nope, you're forgotten. And it's like up and down, up and down. And we have no idea what all he experienced and yet God was with him all the way through. He gave glory to God all the way through. And I think what people need to recognize who are maybe just atheists or I cannot believe in God while there's this garbage going on. Here's the mind-blowing thing of it all. Why does God allow this? Because someone like Joseph who never loses his faith in God, who goes all the way through that, is such a testimony for who God is and what God is able to do and accomplish. You know, there's two ways, I suppose, you could show that you're God. I'm God and there's no sin. Poof! And everyone's going to do exactly what I say. The mind merge happens and we're just, you know, in, in, in robotic obedience. That's one way, I suppose. Or you could say, I'm going to let you guys do your worst and still call out a people for my name and accomplish things even through your sin that will blow your mind. These Egyptians who trafficked him, it wasn't Egyptians, it was... Um, Ishmaelites. Well, he comes up again, doesn't he? 
<laughs> but the Ishmaelites trafficked him to Egypt. And God then saved half the world. You know, which picture makes God bigger? The God who just says, sin is gone and all of you love me. Is that the big God? Or is it the God who is able to draw people to himself despite the sin and the sickness and the disgusting filth? You know, I, I thought about uh, Joseph in a new light just watching that movie. Like, what all might Joseph have had to deal with? And then you think about the, the, the kids who are dealing with that right now as we speak and to know that some of them are crying out to God in heaven and experiencing help and peace and even hope and seeing God work, these are things that I think help to strengthen uh, just the testimony for the gospel. Our goal is to live for his glory now and forever. Now, in the trial, in the suffering, in the middle of the battle with sin, the flesh, and the devil, we're living for his glory, and oh, that God would use that testimony to draw others to himself. Any final thoughts here before we close her down? By the way, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you what to do. It's a, it's a gritty movie. If you, if you want to watch it, go for it, but it is definitely not like an easy movie to sit through, but it is good for us to have to evaluate what are we dealing with and then to, to think about how God, um, how God works through these things. And, and he has a bigger picture. We have to just trust him. Well, God wants us to not necessarily take over the world. He'll do that. But we are going to align with him as we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for taking us through this chapter verse by verse and helping us with our lives. We pray that we would live lives committed to you, growing in grace, deepening our knowledge of you, living lives for the glory of God. Help us as a church, Lord, to be the light you've called us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you folks.